Uncharted Journeys. I'm your host, Kathy McKnight. If you're like me and you've ever sat back and wondered, how did I get here, whether literally or figuratively, in terms of your career or life in general, then you're in good company and have come to the right place. On Uncharted Journeys, you'll hear from amazing women about their straight and narrow, zigzaggy, or somewhere in between paths to success. Today's guest helps marketing agencies build ROI and reputation with research. She is one of the most sought after attitudinal segmentation researchers, researchers in the US, and I will get her to explain that what that means to us in a minute. She's earned an MBA in entrepreneurship and marketing from the University of Arizona and has held senior positions in brands and category management at Dial, Circle K Stores, and ConocoPhillips. As sought after industry conference speaker, which is where we met, she also makes time in her busy schedule to mentor small business owners in marketing and audience strategy. In her spare time, which is rare, she likes to camp, knit, and enjoy a good bourbon, sometimes simultaneously. Welcome, Susan Bear. <laughs> nice to see you, Kathy. Thank you for having me on. Oh, thank you for being here. So before we start digging into you and your amazing journey, attitudinal segmentation. I looked it up. I sort of kind of know what it is, but maybe yeah. you can give our audience just a, a brief synopsis of what that actually is. Yeah, it's understanding different groups of people in a particular audience, not based on what they look like on paper, but how they think about things and how they feel about things. Which is super cool. And, and in this day and age of everything is driven by experience and audience experience and how they feel connected to the brands and the services and the products. How did you get here? What's your journey been like to, to get to doing this? I can't imagine that one day you woke up and went, oh, yes, I will become an attitudinal segmentationist. Yeah, no, it's been an interesting journey for sure. I've been a marketing strategist since I got out of college, really. So we're looking at almost 40 years now. Um, and got really interested in research and started doing research, encountered something like this in my corporate career. And then when I went on my own, um, I talked to my sister who has a PhD in statistics and we decided we could do something like that uh, on our own. So um, it, it, it's, a nice, it's a nice dovetail between my interest in actual data and my interest in finding something that's actually helpful for marketers, because nobody wants an email that says, hello, woman, 25 to 49. Like, that's not compelling. So, and I've had enough of those, like, sit, sit around a conference table and think, figure out who our personas are and what they want to hear from us to know that there's a better way to go about uh, understanding an audience and, and connecting with them. So that's how we got here. I didn't realize you had started the business with your sister. How is that? It's great. Yeah, she um, she's smarter than I am, and uh, she continues uh, to this day to do the analytical component of our work, um, and we're basically two halves of the same person, so it's a great joy to have done it with her and be able to do it with her. That's lovely. Um, I have a sister. We always talked about doing something not quite so analytical, but, you know, doing something yeah. together. So it's, yeah. it's wonderful. Well, if my you... sister was a potter, we probably wouldn't be doing this particular initiative. But she just <laughs> happens to be a statistician. So... <laughs> it worked out great. It worked out great. Yes, exactly. All right. So I start off all my conversations with my guests with four core questions. So if you're ready to dig in, we'll get going. I'm ready. All right. So what was the first career you remember wanting to do when you grew up? Uh, I wanted to be a nurse uh, like my mom. But then when I was 14, I got my ears pierced and I passed out and realized that that was not the career for me. Yeah, that's probably wise. <laughs> <laughs> Who was the first big influencer you remember uh, on your life? 
Um, I had a teacher in college. His name was Dutch Kirk. Um, he was a literature teacher, and he introduced me to a man in Boston who um, basically turned me into a marketer unexpectedly. So that's a that's a big long story. I'm happy to tell you another time. But uh, Dutch Dutch got me on the path. I had no idea what I was going to do after college. My my major was in literary writing and 17th century poetry with a minor in medieval art and architecture. So I really had no plans until Dutch set me on my path. So I'm, I've always been grateful to him. Wow, that I, that's got to be quite a story. So we are going to dig a little bit into that further on. But I'm Perfect. curious now from, did you say 14th century literature? 17th century poetry. 17th century literature. And medieval so art and architecture, yeah. All right. Yeah, I can see the segue. Totally. <laughs> so can my parents. <laughs> <laughs> they were probably very relieved. They were very relieved indeed. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Is there a song that epitomizes your career path or one that you're particularly connected to right now? Um, yeah, career path with a little help from my friends. Uh, I don't think any of us get there alone. And I have been uh, very lucky in the community of people that I've met along the way who have helped me with every step I've ever taken. So uh, for me, that's what it's all about, not doing it by yourself. Love that. And what would the three words that best describe you and or your career? Independent, unexpected, <laughs> and honorable, I hope. Tell me a little bit more about those. So independent, I mean, anyone who's ever known me or works with me knows I chart my own path. It, it didn't always serve me well, uh, especially in corporate America, but uh, it just demonstrated why corporate America is not where I am anymore. Um, unexpected, um, I do things not on a whim, but people seem to be taken aback at some of the things, some of the decisions I make, which may seem sort of shocking or out of the blue or something. Um, that always seems to surprise people. So unexpected. And, you know, I mean, I, I run a research agency and people aren't used to meeting researchers, I guess, like me. So, um, and honorable, you know, I, I just try every day to do the work that I believe in in the best way I know how and help the people that I've decided to, to serve as best I can. And that's, that's all I think any of us can do. Totally makes sense. So you talked earlier about um, starting this business with your sister and, and your ins and outs or ups and downs with corporate world. Can you tell our guests a little bit more about your career and how you got here? Sure. So as I said, I was graduating from college. I was a senior and I realized I didn't know what I was going to do for a job. And Dutch Kirk, my professor, um, said, maybe you should try advertising. And I think that was probably, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that he thought that because of my writing. I think it was probably more that I just talked a lot and he thought that was a good career for people who talk a lot. <laughs> um, and I was, I went to school out in Connecticut and I was coming back home to Arizona afterwards. So I wasn't looking for work out there, but he suggested that he could arrange an informational um uh, interview for me in Boston with a friend of his. So I said, that would be great. You know, this was pre-Google. I knew nothing at all about advertising. Got all ready for my interview. Uh, went up to Boston, 
uh, ended up in the top of a very tall building in Boston. And it turned out the guy who was interviewing me was the senior creative director at Hill Holiday Connors Cosmopolis, which was one My. of the, yes, one of the top agencies in the 80s at, at the time, just a massive agency. So I walk in for this interview and I had prepared carefully for it. I bought a new suit and I had uh, bought a portfolio and had drawn my own ads and written the headlines. Now, I can't draw. Let's just put that out there right now. Okay. So he says, very nice to meet you. Big desk. He's got like a putting green in the office. Like, and I sit down and he said, oh, you've got a portfolio. Let me see. I have no idea what Dutch told him about me at all. So um, I sit down with him and he puts the portfolio on his desk and he sort of pages through it, pages through it, and then closes it and looks at me. And, and at this moment, I have never forgotten this moment. That guy would have been completely justified in kicking me out of his office, really, truly. But instead, he said, let's talk a little bit about advertising. And he spent an hour and a half with me, which, you know, at his billing rate, good Lord, um, teaching me about the business of advertising and the kinds of roles in it and what those roles represent and all of that. And then... He called two other agency owners and got me two more informational interviews that same day before I drove back down to Hartford. And when I graduated, I came home and started looking for an agency job. And that was my first, that was my first job out of college was at an agency. So that's where it started for me. And, the, and, and you know, I think about that moment a lot. It, it's something, this sounds sort of, I don't know, it sounds like a Hallmark card, but I do truly try to make that man proud of me every day. Um, I don't think he ever knew the impact that he had on me, and that's my fault. Um, but I think about what he could have done and instead what he chose to do. And that's guided a lot of my choices in work and in life. So certainly that must have been a significant action, activity, something that that decided the trajectory. But to go from advertising into the depth of research that you do. Can you tell me a little bit more about um, that transition? I mean, you started yeah. off with an agency. Was it a advertising agency that you it started was, out of? Yeah, it was a PR. It was a public affairs agency, uh, really. And, um, you know, I was a little account coordinator and very excited and learning a lot. Um, but about a year in, the agency went out of business. And I didn't understand why. Uh, because I didn't know anything about business. My dad's a surgeon. My mom's a nurse. I didn't really, I didn't have any experience with that. I had no business education in college or anything at all. Um, but I was living in Tucson, and um, the University of Arizona had one of the first entrepreneurship programs in the country. And that appealed to me, not because I wanted to have my own business, because I, I didn't. I was, I'm way too risk averse to own my own business. Um, but it allowed me to see the ripples that affect the success of a business. You know, it's not just marketing. It's not just finance. It's all of it pulled together. So I got my MBA in entrepreneurship and marketing. I started doing research during that time. And then after that, went on to incorporate that work into, uh, into my career. And I uh, landed a job at Dial. Um, and I found out later they hired me on a bet just to see what would happen. Uh, <laughs> right. Well, I didn't have any 
CPG experience, you know, um, and I think I think they just didn't know what was going to happen. Well, they told me they didn't know what was going to happen, but they decided to hire me, and they literally, my hiring manager and his manager made a bet on how well it would work out. Um, and it worked out fine. I was there for, I don't know, seven years or something, but about six six months after I'd started, my manager said, you know, can I have a talk with you a little bit? And I said, sure. And we sat down. He said, so this is going really well. He goes, but I just want to give you a piece of advice. He said, when you interviewed here, you wore a red suit. And you should never, ever wear a red suit for an interview. And I just cracked up. I was like, I am the red suit. Like, if you don't like this suit, you're not going to like me at all. I thought it was the stupidest thing to say. Like, what are you talking? You know, just, but it was an early indicator of sort of how my corporate career was going to go. So I worked at Dial. I managed uh, Dial for Kids and then uh, Liquid Dial for a while. And it taught, Dial was run differently than a lot of consumer products companies at the time. If you were the brand manager, you ran the whole P&L. So they didn't have a separate sort of category group or anything like that. Like you managed everything in the financials for the brand. And that was great for me. And I learned a ton. Um and then I uh, ended up, you know, I worked for Circle K. Uh, I ended up running the gasoline category for ConocoPhillips, which was the worst job I've ever had. Um, and and then, you know, I started my own business in between uh, those. And I and then I ended up um, at an agency working uh, with Jay Bayer, um, who I'd had some contact with and who called me sort of out of the blue while I was home with my own little consultancy and two young kids just totally burnt out on corporate. And he said, do you want a real job? And I really didn't. But since it was Jay, I was like, okay. So I went to help him run an agency in Tempe uh, right before he left and started convince and convert. So (laughs) God bless him. I love him. Um, But, and then I, you know, I worked there for a while and then the recession hit and I got laid off and I just decided at that point that I was not going to work for anybody else anymore. I was going to do something that mattered to me. I was tired of decisions being made that didn't take into account anything that I felt was important. And, and so, uh, that's when I started audience audit and it's actually 14 years ago this week, uh, that I started it. And, and for 12 years, it was just me. Um, and now we're an actual agency with employees and we're running, you know, 30 to 40 projects at a time. And, uh, it's, it's, my husband works for me now in the business. <laughs> it's been great, you know, but it's been, I, I, there's no way I could have ever anticipated the path that I would end up being on. And I think that's a good thing, but, but I learned some things along the way that if I could go back, I would do differently for sure. Like what? So I, I don't know about you, I was raised very much that my job was basically to make everybody else happy, you know? Um, And so I spent a lot of my career just sort of going with the flow of things. And it wasn't until I was literally in my 40s that I realized that the, the path I was on was not taking me anywhere I wanted to end up, you know? I really was just, I was in the corporate thing, you know, with the whole who's got the biggest office and whose credenza matches their desk and all of this kind of stuff. A lot of competitiveness. Um, In a job I really 
really didn't like at all, but it just seemed like what everybody around me was doing. And I didn't have the introspection and the vision and probably the self-confidence really to think about being able to do something else really. Um, so if I, if I could go back, I would have started earlier really thinking about what I wanted my career to be like, where I wanted to end up, and the kind of life that I wanted to have, and the kind of work I wanted to be doing, and the contributions I wanted to be making, and really crafting a path towards that, instead of just sort of following the opportunities that were presented to me, and and feeling like, ooh, that's good, that's a that's an impressive title, you know, that's that's going to look good on the resume. That's a really hard lesson to learn. I found myself in that situation even last year, and I, I couldn't agree with you more about going back and, and doing things um, a little bit differently. And that draw when everybody else is making manager and senior manager, and then, you know, I remember my first friend, the, the first one of my friends who got a VP title, and it was yeah. like, crap, I, I wanted to be that person. Right. It's really, really, it's really hard to resist. And I, I really had a realization when I was at ConocoPhillips that I just was not a person I liked anymore. I mean, it had really turned me into someone that I was not proud of, um, focused on things that didn't matter fundamentally to me, that were very just superficial. And I didn't like that competitive person. I still don't. Like, I'm not, I am not a competitive person. Um, I'm a collaborative person. And I just didn't find that the roles I was in in a lot of situations allowed me that. Agency work was different. I mean, that's one of the reasons that I started what became an agency and that I work with agencies is because I do love that collaboration over competition. But I think corporate is just rife for it. It's, it's, it's just, it's part of the culture. Yeah, and I, 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 we see so many different agencies and different agency types now. I mean, I go back to the Hill and Knowlton world and, mm -hmm. um, you know, even the internal agencies within the company. Like I worked for IBM and PwC mm -hmm. and, and seeing that. And you are absolutely – you can't do your job without being collaborative. People try because right. they are letting that ego and the competitiveness edge them out that way. Yeah. Um, as opposed, and there, the collaboration really isn't genuine. It's, it's very much, well, I'm doing this because I have to. Um, but, you know, to your point about the competitiveness, I was, I was never fussed about a title. You could literally call me queen of the job right. nobody else wants to do. Right. Just pay me for what <laughs> I'm yeah. contributing. Right. right. Yep. And unfortunately in the world, and I think still today, it's very much the two are tied. Um, yes. it's, it's ridiculous. I had a, when, when I started, um, the first company that I started, uh, gosh, 12 years ago now that is no longer, I'm no longer with, but I remember one of the people we were hiring, she was well into her career. Like we're talking into her sixties and she would not take the job unless she got the title of senior vice president. We were five people. Yeah. Who was she being senior vice president over? Yeah, I know. Yeah, it, it, it just was awful. And when I was pregnant with my youngest, um, I was at ConocoPhillips, but I was on maternity leave. And I pretty much had like a nervous breakdown. I told my husband, I'm like, I cannot go back to that job. I hated the work that I was being asked to do. I hated my boss. Um, 
I just, it was miserable. I was really unhappy. And, and so Ron and I basically got out, you know, pencil and paper and figured out if I could go part-time. And so I told my boss before I came back that I wanted to go part-time. And the first answer I got was, yeah, nobody at your level, because I was director level at ConocoPhillips at that point, nobody at your level in internationally in the company is part-time. If you were a secretary, maybe, but not at your level. And then I said, okay, well, then I'm going to leave. And they said, well, hold on a minute. And then <laughs> I remember I came back for a meeting before I was scheduled to start work, and they took me in to meet my to see my VP to talk about this. And this was a guy who was, anyway... So they sat me down and he sat on the edge of his desk and he said, I'm really Ugh. worried about you. He goes, I'm, I'm concerned that you're going to be on the mommy track. He said, don't you want to be a vice president here someday? And honestly, I kid you not, I cracked up. I couldn't help it. It was so ludicrous. I just laughed and I said, no, I don't want to be a vice president here someday. You know, it was just so painfully obvious that the path that I was on there was was going someplace I really did not want to be. So um, they let me go part-time, and I worked there for another couple of years part-time, and by the time I left, there were eight other director-level women in the company that were part-time, um, and which made me feel good. But but I, I just couldn't wait to get out, uh, honestly. I just couldn't wait to get out. And that's when I started my first little consultancy before where I was working with before Jay called me uh, and said come come work with me so you talked a lot about the the shared a lot about the challenges and and things that you've learned over the years what's your yeah. current role like I mean we all have challenges and compromises but I'm imagining they're different today than they were say even 10 years ago yeah they're really different like you know for 12 years I ran this business by myself I mean my sister did analysis and stuff but I did everything I did all the client engagement I did all the client work in the business all the presentations and all the administration of the business and and then we grew to a point where that was no longer um, feasible or recommended. <laughs> um, and <clears throat> so my role has changed a lot in the last couple of years and continues to change. I mean, my best, my best role now is training my people and, um, sharing the expertise that we have with agencies and sort of, you know, providing good content and, and client nurture um, and letting other folks in my business manage the day-to-day -day of the work that we do. And so, you know, we're, we're still small. We've got three employees and a few contractors. Um, but everybody's on board with that. So I'm still, I've, I've, I've relinquished a lot and I'm learning to relinquish more. But it's hard, I think. I think it's hard when you've built something yourself to imagine it being run by anybody else. I mean, it's practically hard because everything's in your head and you have to get it out. Um, <clears throat> but it's also, I think, emotionally hard. Um, and for me, it's also difficult because I love doing the work that we do. I mean, I built the business to do the work that I wanted to be able to do. And, and it's hard not to do that work as much as I used to because I love it. So, um, but it's the right role and it's, a, it's, it's teaching me how much I can still learn and grow and change. I'm 58 years old and, you know, I've been working for a long time and 
every week presents new opportunities and challenges for me to continue growing and thinking about the path that I want to be on and how I can help the people in my business achieve the path that they want, whether they work for me or contract with us or whatever. So that's my best, that's my best purpose right now. And that's an ongoing process. I'm curious because again, I've been in your position where you've had to let other people do stuff that traditionally for a long time you've done yourself. Has there been anything that you've relinquished and then gone, nope, I can't, I need that back. Yep. <clears throat> yep. Um, there has been. And, and it was just because the person, the junior person I had doing it just wasn't up to the job at the time. And so I had to pull it back. But you know what? I'm getting ready to farm it out again. I'm getting ready to find out somebody with different qualifications and hand it off again. Because, you know, it's been interesting to see that the, the decisions I've made in my business always affected me and pretty much only me. Right. Other than the financial security of my family. Right. But it was really me. It was my day to day experience. But now the decisions I make affect more people than just me. And some of the decisions to hold on to things are not serving that purpose well. And so, you know, it triggers that, hey, you're supposed to be helpful and help other people thing. And that's, you know, that's good. That's okay. So that's where I try to find the balance. Well, it sounds like you're finding pretty good balance there, which is amazing. <laughs> I'm working. Uh, I'm working towards it. <laughs> it's a work in progress, You haven't interviewed right? any of my people yet, so you don't have to see what they think. <laughs> but yes, I know, I know I have opportunities, so as do we yes, all. Yes, yes. Well, there's, there's, there's degrees of success depending on the day, sometimes depending on the minute of the day, depending on that yep. day, right? Yep. So if you weren't in the research space that you're, that you're in and, and, doing this amazing work um, from, from a research perspective, what would you be doing? Is there something that's always sort of sat in the back of your head that oh you God, thought, I oh, can't that'd even, be kind of cool? I'd probably be in jail or doing face painting at Disneyland or something. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I think if I could start all over, I would be interested in archaeology or physics. Um, but that's a different, that's a path for a different life. I'm very happy with where I am. I don't have any... I don't have any regrets about where I've ended up. I have regrets about decisions I made along the way, but ultimately it's one of those situations where you can't wish too much had changed because where would you be, you know? And I'm deeply grateful for where I am, that's for sure. Yes, I mean, that's amazing advice. But, you know, as we we close out our conversation, there's been so much that you've shared. And and one of the things I love about doing this series is the women that I speak with, there's always great advice. There's always, I, I come off these conversations and I give myself a half an hour of reflection uh, mm. and say, how much of this do I need to incorporate into my life today? And mm. there's always something. So um, I'm sure. so appreciative for the conversation. But for our listeners, maybe particularly the women in our audience, what would be your best piece of advice on life, career, success, anything you'd like to share? So, you know, I really embrace and I talk a lot in my content and with my agency leaders and stuff this idea of being relentlessly helpful. Um, there's a wonderful book by Todd Henry called Die Empty. Um, and the philosophy of that book is, look, give it all you got because this is the only time you're going to be here. And I really love this idea of being what I call relentlessly helpful. It's so sat- deeply satisfying uh, to be able to do that. However, 
I think it's, you can't do it without having boundaries. You can't be relentlessly helpful to everyone all the time. You really have to make choices about for whom you are going to be relentlessly helpful and what the limits of that are. And I think that if you don't have those boundaries, you can very easily burn out. So I think it's important to keep your path in mind. For me, the people I want to serve are a critical piece of that path, right? So I can be relentlessly helpful to those folks. But I think the best, you know, one of my favorite things to say, and I don't get to say it very much anymore um, because of just how tight our niche is in terms of what we do. But for a long time, my favorite thing to say was, yeah, we don't do that. You know, I think it's really powerful. And it took me a long time, Kathy, to learn to say, nope. And I think you need, I think women especially, need to get practiced at saying nope easily, comfortably, and often. Because if you do that, you can be relentlessly helpful in a deeply satisfying way within a narrow band and not kill yourself. Um, you have to have both of those things going on. So I wish I'd learned to say nope earlier, but um, I say it fairly often now in one, one, one salty language or another. <laughs> Even if I'm just saying it to myself. <laughs> yeah. I, you know what? That, that, the, the ability, it's interesting because, you know, Robert and I, we do say no to clients. We do. We've gotten yeah. to a point in our career where it's like, you know what? This isn't the right fit or I don't think we'll do the best job or we can't take it on right now. So certainly we'd love to work with you. But if yeah. we can't do it today, we'll need to do it, you know, set a, a path for a couple of months from now. And if that turns into a no, that's okay. But man, doing it from a personal life perspective and for the clients we say yes to, you talk about yeah. scope creep. Oh my goodness. It's so, it's so powerful. And it really, I think is a good thing for both parties. I mean, if you've got a poor fit client that you know you're not best at, just save them the agony and the trouble and, and try to direct them to somebody who can better support them than you can. Um, yep. So it's not a bad thing and you don't have to do it in a bad way. I think the trick is practicing doing it. It's hard to do. Those words are hard to get out if you never say them. Yes. You just really have to get comfortable with it. My sister, years ago, I'll show you even though our listeners can't see it, but my sister got me this desk plate that just says no. Nope. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and, and, and like I said, yeah, we don't do that. Yeah, we don't do that. Just practice, practice, practice saying no to things that don't serve you and the folks that you are trying to to help. Uh, Susan, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for spending some time with me and, and sharing your story. I'm sure your listeners were, well, my listeners will be equally as, as excited and empowered after this conversation. Where oh, can we find you? Here. I know you are often speaking at different conferences, anything yep. queued up for early in 2023 or? Um, well, the next conference I'm speaking at is the Build a Better Agency conference in uh, May in Chicago, uh, and I'll be there. That's a great conference. If you're a small to mid-sized agency leader, that's a good place to go. You can always find me at audienceaudit.com, uh, Facebook and LinkedIn, and I am uh, restarting my Fun with Research content program in January, which is all about getting scary questions answered about how to do research, how to interpret it, and how to use it to build your reputation. Uh, so that's, that's always fun on YouTube. 
Well, that sounds absolutely interesting. I will have to check that out and I will make sure to put a link in the, in the show notes. So Susan, thank you um, for your time. It was so great connecting with you. Hopefully maybe I'll see you at uh, Drew's event in Chicago. Thank you, Kathy. That, I look forward that to would that. Be I appreciate this conversation. How fun. I can't wait. I can't wait to hear more of your guests. Well, thank you. And uh, to my audience, thanks for listening to Uncharted Journeys with me, your host, Kathy McKnight. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Susan and hearing about how making decisions and saying nope can end you up in a career that you love and that you're sharing with others. If you're keen to hear more stories from amazing women, you can head over to unchartedjourneys.net to sign up for our email list, check out other episodes, as well as the links and resources from this show. Thanks again for listening. See you next time. And until then, enjoy the journey. Got to keep.